0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gold Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. You know, I, I told Shannon last night when we were driving home from something we had, I said, man, tomorrow's going to be thin. But I want you to know something. I'm a priest today like there's a thousand people in here. I cannot help but be excited about what I'm going to talk to you about. Here's why. In this room, all of us are going to... uh, I better turn this off. In this room, all of us are going to listen. Some of us are going to hear... But this morning I woke up with the very firm conviction that one of us is going to let the word of God take root inside of our heart today. And it's going to grow into something that is absolutely beyond what you and I could ever possibly even imagine. There is something going on inside of somebody here today. And you're going to leave this place. Maybe it's somebody watching my Facebook. You're going to leave this place and you're going to say to yourself, God has met me here. And I believe that the scripture is right when it says that the word of God will not come back void. Amen? So what you do with God's word inside of your heart is going to make all the difference in the world. Now, in order for the, root to, or the word to take root, it's got to fall on good soil. Jesus told us that. And you control that. Is your heart's soil good? And then it's got to be watered. And, and the way you water the word of God inside of your heart is you do what you know is the next thing to do. You allow obedience to be the water. And as you are obedient step by step by step, God begins to grow something inside of you that is absolutely marvelous. And I promise you, something you could never grow on your own. So this morning, I want to ask you the question What is your finish line? If you will, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. And and as you're doing that, ask yourself this question. What is your finish line? As I've studied this week, what I've discovered is that there's a finish line that that is common to all of us. And that finish line ultimately is, well done, my good and faithful servant. One day those words will be heard. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But that broad finish line... Or that general finish line, I think for for each of us individually, there's a specific finish line, and that is the question of, what has God placed you on this earth to do? Why do you exist? Why do you live and why do you breathe? What is it that God has intended for your life? Now, as I was speaking to First Baptist this morning, I told them, I said, some of you have never thought about this, and some of you might be saying, well, I... I've, I've done so much in my life but I've never really thought about the kingdom and I've never really thought about the finish line. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure I have enough time to do what God's called me to do. And here's the answer to that. God can do in one day what you could not do in a thousand years. God can do in one moment what you could not do in a lifetime. Because when we let God do what his purpose and plan in our life is for him to do, it will not only amaze us and literally blow us away, but it will surprise us that all of that was in us. And here's why. Because God has intended that your life count for something. But not so that your life could count, but so that God could be glorified in and through and by you. You know, as, as I look at these passages of scripture, each one of them cuts to my heart and it brings out in me an excitement and this, this intensity and this, this overwhelming urgency to be all that God has called and purposed for in my life to the point where I really don't care what you think because I don't have to answer to you when I stand before the father. And you don't answer for me. And what I'm going to tell you is this. I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm going to give you the command. I hope that I'll spark inside of you this hunger and this thirst to allow God to do in your life what he's purposed since from before you were born to do. And I want you to figure out what it is that God wants you to do. And by the way, that's not hard. We make it way too complicated. In Hebrews chapter 12 we looked at this passage last week, but in Hebrews chapter 12, this is what the scripture tells us. Give me a moment to find Hebrews. That's one of those chapters, that, the, one of those books that's it's not where you think it is. Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, we've got this cheering section. It's this stadium full of people. And the faces in that stadium are those who've gone before us. The heroes of the faith. If you want to know what some of those faces would look like, go to chapter 11. It's the hall of faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Joseph. By faith, by faith, by faith. And it's this cloud of witnesses that the picture we have is they're watching our life and they're cheering us on. It's a very real picture of a, of a sporting event. It's a real picture of a race. I've been to a few track races in my life. The tracks weren't racing, but the runners were racing on the track. Just wanted to clarify. And there's nothing like the, the intensity of hearing the pop. And the runners jump off the start. And as they're racing, they're strategizing, and they're planning, and they're realizing either it's a short race, a sprint, sprint, or it's a long race. Hannah, as you know, was the 3,200. She ran the long distance, which means we were always the very last people to run. And since she was a girl, it was the last of the last people to run, because they have the dudes first, then they have the girls. Is that Maybe it was anyways. I just remember it was a long day if you stayed the whole day. Good thing they sold hot dogs and popcorn. But of course, I'm too cheap to buy it, so I never got to, be. anyways, that's another story. But as they, as, they, as they pop, you're watching as these runners are positioning themselves. They don't want to run too fast because they want to finish, but they also don't want to go too slow because they don't want to be to where they can never catch up, and so they're pacing themselves. And then there's a point in the race at which they realize they better start to kick. There's, there's a point at which they realize if they don't give it all they've got, they're not gonna win, And they're just gonna see their competitors run in front of them and they will not be able to catch up. And so I love it because I was the dad coach who knew nothing about running, but what I could do is I could yell and I could say, You can do it! In fact, we gave Hannah this name, the cheetah. It was so corny and goofy. Run, cheetah, run! And everybody's like, what the heck are you talking about? But it worked for me, okay? It never helped her win a race, but I enjoyed it. But I knew that at some point, if she didn't kick it into gear, she was not gonna catch up. Can you you just feel like what it would have been to be there? That is what this surrounding cloud of witness is doing right now with you in your life. They're saying it's time to kick! You've turned the corner. The finish line is near. It's time to run. And the scripture says, let us throw off. Because we have this cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. This is not sin. Everything that hinders, uh, you might have a King James that says, all the encumbrances. The things that hinder are the things that are good, but the things that are good that keep you from the race that God has called you to. It's those things that God is saying to you. If you keep them, you cannot run the race that I've planned for you. And the struggle in this is that we want to keep those things because they're comforting, they're pleasurable, they're enjoyable, they're things that we, we say we love. But picture again, you're in this stadium and you're on the track and you're rounding the corner and the fathers of the faith and the the women of the faith of old are standing to their feet and they're cheering, they're witnessing, they're saying, time to kick! And all those things that encumber us, it's time for us to throw them off. It's the idea of ripping them off and just leaving them behind us. Not even looking back to mourn. Because we know that the race is worth the sacrifice. So the things that hinder us and then the, the sin that so easily entangles us. It's this idea of having this, I don't know if you've ever walked through mud. But that real black thick mud the kind that every step you take adds another half an inch to the bottom of your boot. And before long, your, your your legs are heavy and they're tired because you're just doing everything you can to move your feet. That's the sin that so easily entangles us. It's the, it's the sin that trips us up. Scripture says because we have this surrounding cloud of witnesses, these are not people who don't understand. These are people who have been there, lived it. They have paid the price that you are paying, and more. This cloud of witnesses we know in Hebrews 11 were those in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but they're also the people who 20 years ago gave their life in Zimbabwe or China. These are people who have lost everything, including their families and their fame and their fortune for the gospel, and those who have died before us, they are the ones still standing, cheering you on. They're witnessing What you are doing in your race. And if you could think of it this way, I imagine what they're saying is don't let what I've done for the kingdom die. Because whether you know it or not, your faith is not your own faith. You have the faith you have because somebody went before you and figured some things out. Somebody went before you and they sacrificed. Look at this building. You say, well, this building's not my faith. Well, no, it's not, but it plays a part. Because without this building, story point probably wouldn't exist. Without this building, this preaching point would not exist. If we didn't have story point, most of you would not be a part of First Baptist because you're probably looking for something different. I don't know, but I'm just supposing. But this building was built by a dream of somebody about 20 years, actually more than 20, probably 25 years ago, the total cost was probably close to $2 million. They raised the cash to begin building, and then we had a debt on it for about $1.3 million. And in case you're wondering, oh, well, that's a lot to spend on a building, what you need to know about this building is that because they thought of this the way that they did, it's not only serve people meals here, but it served people in the community, it served people in Beach Haven, and every single month it serves people who are homeless who go to the Waterfront Rescue Mission. It's a place that people can come and drop off shoeboxes that will take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's a place where a school, when it had no more building on the beach because of Hurricane Ivan, could come to us as a church and say, we need you. And we could say, we have this giant building with nobody in it come and do school here for a year and a half and all of these different stories because somebody maybe 25 years ago said we have this dream of building a building that could be used as a place for the gospel to be to to be to, to be sent this building has had mission conferences where i know for a fact that lives have been changed I've heard testimonies of people who've knelt right here and through, those, through that act of kneeling, they have had encounters with God where God has wrecked their world in such a good and glorious way. And yet this building has so many stories of the faithfulness of those who've gone before who've sacrificed not only time but also money. I'm looking around. I'm wondering if anybody in this room besides me I think a few maybe, have a dime invested in this building. I'm not, I'm not saying, if you weren't here, you weren't here, and, and, and we paid it off. It was, it's, we're f- fully debt free. But, but only a few in this room perhaps have given a single dime for this to be built. But because other people had the vision of it, your faith has grown, at least some, in part because of this little piece of the kingdom. Does that make sense? And so when they're standing up there cheering on the the believers of today, I have to wonder if part of them is saying, and and it's not for their own glory, it's for the work. I, I wonder if part of them is saying, don't let die what we bled for. Don't drop the ball. Don't drop the baton. Because the race doesn't end with you, only your part of the race ends. And you pass it on to somebody else. None of us have a, has a faith that was not bought by somebody else's blood, sweat, and tears. That's why we can't just kick tradition to the curb. That's why we have to be mindful and and honoring of those who've come before us. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let us throw off the sin that easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. Listen to what it says. The race marked out for us. There is a race marked out for you. What is your finish line? See, I don't believe you can really know what your race is till you know what your finish line is. A bunch of these business books have a very simple concept. Begin with the end in mind. How do you know where to go if you don't know where you're supposed to wind up? Now, you can you can accidentally wind up some places. That's fine. That works occasionally. But if you want to live the life that God has intended for you, you got to know where you're going. And so you might say, well, how do I know where I'm going? How do I know what God has for me? How do I know God's purpose and his plan? How do I actually figure out what the finish line is? It's really very simple. You're, it's, this is going to blow your mind. It's not a matter of spending hours and days and weeks and months, you know, pouring through things. No, it's really this simple. What do you have? What you have is what God wants from you. There's a story in the Bible of a time where Jesus was on the hillside. He was teaching the crowd. There were 5,000 men The Bible specifically says there's 5,000 men and then there were women and children. So easily 10,000, 15,000 people on this hillside. It was getting late. So as disciples, as spiritual men that they were, they came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, let's send these people away so they can go get some food because the Popeye's line is long at this time of night and we don't want to wrap around the building twice. So isn't that crazy? You ever think in your wildest dreams that Popeye's would have a line that wraps around the building twice? We are are some desperate people if that's the case. I can understand Jesus' chicken. I can understand Chick-fil-A doing that. But Popeye's, I ain't waiting in line 30 minutes for a piece of crispy chicken. I just ain't doing it. The disciples said to Jesus, the line's getting long at the drive-thru. We got to go. Send these people away. And Jesus' answer to them was shocking. Because he called them to the impossible. He said, you give them something to eat. <laughs> I always, you know, I have this weird mind sometimes, most of the time. And I, and I, and I like to imagine these scenarios if, as if I was there watching, right? And I always try to put voices on Jesus. What would it be like if he used like a mafia voice? You give them something to eat. I mean, I just, you ever do that? Am I the only one on the planet that does that? Okay, apparently I am. Now you're going to start though, Right? Could you imagine it being, if he was just joking in a Mickey Mouse voice, you give them something to eat. I mean, could you just imagine? That would be hilarious. If, it, if I were Jesus, that's what I would have done. Anyways, he says to them, in however he wanted to say, whatever voice he used, you give them something to eat. And they were like, uh, Jesus, I'm not sure if you know this, but we're poor. We used to have money because we used to fish. But remember that time where you said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men? Well, guess what? Fishing for men don't pay that much. He said, we left our nets to follow you. You know, we barely have enough to feed ourselves. We're, we're still living in mama's attic, right? I mean, we, we, have, we have very little. So how are we going to feed these people? And Jesus asked the question of them that I believe he's asking of you and me. And I think this determines our finish line. What? Do you have maybe the four most important questions today? What do you have? They said, well, we, we're not really sure, but we'll, we'll go pull we'll go the crowd. So they went through this crowd and they found a boy with two fishes and five loaves. Now, I'm just I'm going to call foul on this. Here's why. I don't believe for a second that in that entire crowd, there was only one boy with two fishes and five loaves. Here's how I know that. There were 5,000 men, which probably means there were at least 5,000 women. And I don't know about you, but my woman doesn't go anywhere without food in the car for me. Right? I mean, she just thinks of this stuff. Am I right? And you know, she'll, she'll, she'll like pile snacks just in case we get snowed in, right? And, and even if she didn't think about it that day, we've got snacks in the trunk as a backup just in case. Like our vehicles, if you get stranded there, you could eat for three days because we keep food in our cars. Maybe that's weird, but I kind of like it that way. So I'm thinking that in that crowd, there had to have been more than just two fish and five loaves. And I'm thinking in that crowd, what was really happening was when they asked, hey, do you have any food? I, 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 don't, have, well, I don't have any food. And this little boy had a, had a basket that his mama packed for him. And he goes, yeah, I got food. What do what you want to do? And he said, well, you see that guy up there has been talking. He's asked us to come find food. And I wonder if that little boy thought to himself, well, you know, if y'all didn't plan food, that's your problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, <sighs> but however it went down, he gave the food to the disciple who brought it to Jesus. Here's the lesson. Well, one of the lessons. What you have doesn't mean anything if you're not willing to give it to Jesus what you have is pointless unless you're willing to let go of it for Jesus the boy gave his food and Jesus took the food and he blessed it oh that would have been awesome to see right I mean I just would have liked to have seen those two fish go boop 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 I'm going to try that on the boat I've tried it and it hasn't worked yet But how cool was it? Every time they reached in, they just pulled out fish after fish after fish after after loaf of bread after loaf of bread. And before long, everybody, and by the way, Jesus said, have them sit down in groups. I think he wanted them to be orderly and and, um, obvious that everybody had been fed. I think the whole point of that was that he could say, I want you to count, did anybody go unfed? Well, no, Jesus. Well, okay, go pick up the scraps. They brought back 12 basketfuls, one for each of the learning how to believe disciples. Oh, what lessons we have in that, huh? Interestingly enough, the disciples didn't give their own food. They gave a little boy's food who was willing to give it to Jesus. But when he gave it to Jesus, Jesus was giving it to them so that they could feed the crowd that was hungry. And then they got fed themselves because they were obedient to Jesus because the little boy gave all he had. Do you see how amazing this is? So what does your finish line look like? Well, what do you have? Let me give you seven areas. I think seven areas. You have time, you have talents, which is abilities, special skills. I have a special set of skills developed over many years, right? Some of y'all got that, thank you, thank you very much. You have a spiritual gift, maybe even a few of them. A spiritual gift is a supernatural ability that God gives to His people so that they can do, they can be a piece of the puzzle so that the whole puzzle, the whole church is 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 kicking on all four cylinders or all eight cylinders, doing what he's supposed, what she's supposed to do. That's a spiritual gift. You have money. Everybody in this room has money. Whether you're a college student, whether you're a kid, whether you're an adult, you have money. Everybody in this room has stuff. We have houses, we have cars, we have boats, we have toys, we have, we have uh, uh, lawn equipment, we have all this stuff. Everybody in this room has been wildly blessed beyond What most people in the world have been blessed by or with. But here's the thing your finish line is every bit about what God has already entrusted to you to steward and to manage. So, to run the race. That was marked out for us means what I have is not my own. What I have is what belongs to God. And because God owns it and has entrusted it to me, I don't decide and dictate what and where and how and when. I'm only asking the question, what, Father, do you want me to do? By the way, this is an easy way to live easy in the fact that it takes the hard decisions away for a lot of things. We don't have to wrestle so much with some things because we don't have to ask, what do I need to do? We simply need to say, what would the heart of God do? Okay, sounds good. Then I'll do it. And here's the thing we don't get. There is a back door of blessing when it comes to us being obedient with what God has. The parable goes like this. Jesus said, I gave you five. What did you do with it? Well, Jesus, I took my five and I buried it and I hid it and I I now will give you five back. And he says, nope. I'm taking away the five that I gave you because what I gave it to you for was not so you could bury it and hide it and keep it. I gave it to you so that you could invest it and spend it and use it in my kingdom. So he who has will be given more and if you haven't used it, It'll be taken away. The other alternative is I've given you five. What did you do? Well, I took that five and I, I took a risk. I took a chance of losing it all, but I said to myself, what would Jesus do? WWJD. I even have a bracelet to remind myself of that. And I said to myself, I think Jesus would take a chance, and he would do something with this five. And so I did, and it surprised me, but now I have ten to give back to you. And Jesus said to the servant, guess what? Because you were faithful in what my heart would intend for you to do, I'm now going to give you more because you're obedient. See, there's this back door of blessing. We talked about it as a college group. We said, top line, bottom line, right? God blesses us, top line, so we can be a blessing, bottom line. All throughout scripture, you never, ever, ever see a blessing without the expectation that that blessing is gonna be used for the kingdom of God to bless others in his name. It's never there. They're always together. Shannon and I got a call yesterday. Hannah called us. She said, hey, um, I need to talk to you about Christmas. I said, okay, what's up? She said, one of the girls on my team is from another country and she's not going to be able to go home for Christmas. And I was just wondering if maybe instead of buying me presents, you could take my presents and you could just give them to her. Because she's going to be all by herself, and I don't want her not to have a Christmas. And of course, you know, it was kind of, kind of emotional going, wow, that's, you know, because we were going to give you a Lamborghini, but okay, if you, you know, if you, that, that's what you want. And I said, no, we won't do that. Because we're not poor. We have enough money that we can buy you presents and her presents. And my first thought as a father was, no, I'm not going to withhold gifts from you so I can give them to her. But because you care about her, I'm going to give gifts to you and to her. Because that makes me happy. It makes me happy to see that you love people and that you are willing to sacrifice. Well, that your sacrifice is, 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 is a blessing. And so I can do both. I've got enough. And it dawned on me, that is the purpose of what God is saying. He doesn't have to take from you to give to somebody else. No, but what he does do is he gives to you So that you will give to somebody else. And then he says, now I'm going to fill back up what you don't have anymore. Because I know you're going to do with my stuff what I would do with my stuff. And I am a giving, gracious, kind, loving, generous God. Your finish line has everything to do with what you have now. Uh, you know, I think that maybe our finish line it doesn't change as we get older, but it does get more defined. But you don't need to worry about that. You just need to worry about right now, what do you have? And then ask the question: Are you willing to give what you have? But I don't have much. Don't believe that lie. You have more than you possibly could count, but maybe you don't see what you have because God has hidden it from you so that maybe so you won't be overwhelmed, but also maybe because He seeks obedience before He gives wisdom. He seeks obedience before He gives you more direction. Because if, if we're not faithful for, with what we know to be true, why would God expect us to be faithful with what we don't yet know? Amen? So I want you to look in the scripture in 2 Timothy. So Paul is, is, is speaking of this This race. In 2 Timothy, he continues this thought, and actually in multiple places in the scripture, this this picture of a race, that we're running this race, there is a finish line, and as we run, what we're running for is a reward. We're running for a crown. He, he makes it very clear in the scripture that this it 's in first uh, Corinthians chapter nine that he does this. He makes it clear that that the run that we 're running for is not a crown that is perishable and he 's referring to the Isthmian games you know back in, in in his days they would have these big Olympic games and and the, the winner of the games would not get a gold medal they wouldn 't get money they wouldn 't get a reebok sponsorship and they wouldn 't get you know they wouldn 't be on the toast uh, uh, the cereal boxes, they got, they got a, a, a crown of leaves. Like somebody back in the back room would go, I'm building the crown for the winner. Whoever gives their life and wins this whole thing, they get this marvelous bush on their head. But it was the honor. It was the ability to say, I finished. And so this wreath is the backdrop between, but, but for what Paul is talking about. And he's saying, "You're not running for a wreath, a wreath, a, a crown made of leaves. You are running for a crown of righteousness. You're running for a crown that is built by the hands of the living God." And this picture that we have is that God is going to give us a crown, but there's more. But wait, there's more. It's not that just that, just that God is going to give us this crown. Of righteousness, but there's also multiple times in Scripture where the Bible tells us that what we do is laying for ourselves treasures. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said three things do in secret. He said, pray in secret, fast in secret, give in secret. The whole purpose of saying that was this He was saying, look, your actions on earth have eternal consequences. And when you do these actions with the right heart and the right purpose, when they are to bring glory to the name of Jesus and you're not seeking the light on yourself, but what you're doing is wanting for God to be glorified, God sees that and he multiplies your reward and he stores it up in heaven for you for when you get there. But he also said, be careful because if you do these things on earth to be noticed and seen and for your name to be on buildings and all this stuff, that's all the reward you're going to get. You've heard of Bitcoin, right? Am I too intense for you? I'm sorry. I I just, I feel so like anxious, not anxious, excited. Bitcoin is this, you know, it's cryptocurrency. Uh, There's a story that's famous in the, the, the Bitcoin community. And I don't know the exact numbers, but a few years ago or ten years ago, whatever, a guy made the first actual purchase with Bitcoin. He bought a pizza, and I think he spent like two thousand Bitcoin on it, right? And that was a digital transaction. Hey, I bought a pizza with for two thousand or whatever Bitcoin. Well, at the time, he probably paid eight cent, ten cent for a Bitcoin, and so he paid a normal twelve bucks for a pizza. Woohoo! Right? That dude is kicking himself every single day right now. You see, he traded, let's just say, 2,000 Bitcoin for a pizza. He got his reward. He ate his pizza. It was over. It was done. Had he held on to it, today, a Bitcoin is worth almost $19,000 apiece. Perhaps the world's most expensive pizza ever i think that sometimes in our life we are we are spending bitcoin on pizza not realizing that the value of today is way less than the value that god has placed on things so you and i have to choose do we want people to see us do we want to have the motive of being being spiritual Being honored, being being praised, or do we want to do stuff to where Jesus says, I see that. Yes, I got, ooh, ooh, I like that one. I'm convinced that the richest people in the kingdom of God are going to be those that you and I have never heard their name. We're going to go, who's that? Oh, whew, they were a nobody, but they were all in for Jesus. They did things that nobody else would do. Oh, by the way, they served. And they allowed their lives to be a complete conduit for the gospel. Wow, they're living high right now in heaven. I get you know, remember, imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing, their reward. They, they, they've actually got storage buildings just for all their reward, right? You think you got a nice house? Wait till you see theirs. Right? Again, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, using words just kind of embellishing that a little bit, but the idea in Scripture is there that you can receive a reward now or you can be faithful and you can do all that God calls you to do and allow God to bless you. God blesses us far more than we could ever bless ourselves. So here's the passage in Second Timothy. I love this because Paul is at the end of his life. He is... He, is, he has worked hard. He's tired. His body has been beaten. He's been in jail. He's been starved. He's been, he's been uh, beaten physically. He's been abused. He's been called names. He's had all of these events happen to him. You know, he's, he's had people stone him. All of these things. So... <clears throat> He's he's writing this to young Timothy in in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he's writing these words. And you can feel the intensity. You can feel the passion. You can feel that he is bleeding on this page. Because young Timothy is the one that he loves so dearly. He's poured his... Because remember, Paul had been abandoned by so many believers. You want to talk about feeling rejected and abandoned? This guy gets it. He writes to young Timothy these words, chapter 4, verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished, or excuse me, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Something about these words though, fought, finished, kept. In the original language of the text, in the Greek, these words are a particular kind of verb. And that verb has the idea, or it carries the the, the weight of an of, of a completed task. So this has been done. There's a point in time. I'm finished. I'm done. I've completed. But the results are continuous. It's like an investment. I've made the investment, but the interest just keeps growing. And growing and growing. What a picture for us. I fought the good fight. Can I just tell you, if anybody told you that your life in Christ was not going to be a fight, they lied to you and you should hit them in the head. In Jesus' name, of course. If anybody told you that it was going to be easy, if anybody told you that, that there was not going to be any struggle, if anybody told you that it was not going to be a wrestling, grappling, hand-to-hand combat game, sometimes even with people that we love and we expect differently from, then, then, then they lied to you. Because the Bible says that Jesus said, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. Jesus said the, the student is not greater than his master. And this word here, fight, the, I have fought the good fight. The word fought, or the word fight, it's a word that, that means to wrestle. It's close combat. It, it's a word that means to struggle. Josh and I will sometimes wrestle just, just for fun. And, and he's, he's getting a little bit bigger, and so now it's becoming more of a challenge for me to whip his tail. There will be a point no time soon, maybe like when I'm 80 or something, that he could probably pin me, right? But I'll tell you, it's a struggle. It's like wrestling a greased pig. You know, in the country, they do that. That's actually their, their, their fun. You ever you, Did you know that, right? They used to take a little pig, a piglet, they'd cover him in Crisco, they'd put him in a yard, they'd send the kids out and say, go get him. And whoever could wrestle the pig and grab him and hold on to him won. I, I guess they won the pig. I don't know. But, but uh, you know, it, 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 it's a struggle. It's just you, you can't feel like you're winning, right? That's the biblical picture. I've fought. I've struggled. It, it's a word that has its root in agon, which is part of how we get the word what? Agony. I have fought. I have agonized the good fight I have finished the race one of the worst parts about a race is when you get to the end and you have nothing left to walk to go across the line that's why I don't watch Well, a lot of reasons I don't watch NASCAR but, but you, you ever watch NASCAR right this, this is watching it at home this is watching it at the NASCAR track that's the only difference right Four hours, five hours, well, this is awesome. Wow, that's cool. I sure hope somebody wrecks because my neck hurts, right? I mean, that's, that's NASCAR. But do you ever notice how they, they, they time their, their gas usage, their fuel usage, to where when they get to the finish line, they want to finish with barely any in the tank. Why? Because they want to leave nothing on the field. They don't want anything extra to hold them back because literally seconds, microseconds matter. When Paul says, I've, uh, I've, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the face, faith, what he was saying was, I have given everything and I've got nothing left here at the end because all has been laid on the field. What a shame when you watch those NASCAR races, because I know some of y'all do, maybe. And this guy that's been winning gets 100 yards from the finish line and the announcer says, oh, looks like they miscalculated his fuel. And he goes, boop, 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 boop. And everybody flies by him because he didn't have enough to the end. You know what the goal is for me? I want to end with just enough in the tank to Eve to to, to push me over the finish line, and that includes everything. Energy, passion, money, stuff, everything. Because what good does it do if after I'm gone, there's a stockyard or a, there's, a, there's a closet full of stuff that God blessed me with that I was saving for a rainy day just in case. Amen? I read this story or I saw this story this week. Anybody know what time it is? Yeah, okay, time to be done. I read this story this week about this girl Somewhere around middle school, she she found out, she got the diagnosis, maybe it was being a high school, that she had MS. MS is a disease that affects the nerves. And so she was faced with the reality that that she was going to have a life of of struggle. But she had a gift of running. She was able, she was able to run and not just run, but run fast. She didn't just run with the girls. She like beat all the girls. She was now running with the boys. But the doctor said, listen, your your symptoms are exacerbated by heat. So if you run, you're going to get to the point where your entire body is going to be numb. And she talked with her parents about it. She talked with her coach about it. And she decided, I've been given this gift I've got to use it. It's something I can do. And so this young high school girl began to run, and the symptoms began to flare up and get worse and worse and worse. And so this is how it happened. When she was on the starting block, she could feel every part of her body. As soon as the gun would go off, she would begin to run. She would get into position, and as she began to run, her toes would go numb, and then her feet would go numb. And then she couldn't feel her ankles and then her calves and it would move up to her knees. And halfway through the race somewhere, her whole body was numb from here down. She could look and see that her legs were moving, but she could not feel anything. She had to learn, which is hard for a runner because you can't pace yourself. You can't know, you know, you you can't feel things in the ground that are uneven. It was very, very dangerous. By the end of the race, she was completely numb that she also wasn't able to fully stop. Because when she would stop, she would just collapse to the ground. So her coach said, I will be there for you. I watched the video of this, it's marvelous. At the end of the race, her coach would go to the finish line and he would stand about this far back and as she would cross the line, she would fall into his, to his arms with nothing left. He would lay her down on the ground and then scoop her up like this and then walk her over to the infield, set her onto the ground and begin to put ice on her and give her something to drink so that her body would cool down and the feeling would come back into her body. She was leaving it all on the track. Great pain, great frustration, but the race was worth it. She made it to the state finals, the last race of her high school career. She would never run again in this context. She was lined up in the blocks. The gun went off. Within the first quarter of a mile of the, or within the first quarter of the track, she got tangled up in the middle of the pack and she fell to the ground. No doubt at this point, her legs had already started to become numb. When she fell to the ground, she tumbled a little bit, looked up, and the pack had already gotten a sizable distance ahead. Now, we're not talking about Jeffrey's running, right? You know, I, I, this is not my kind of running. Like, I, 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 I ease on through. I don't want to give too much, right? No, these are athletes, the best of the best in the state. So if you fall like that, you're not going to catch up. Except that she looked up and she got up and she began to run. And she began to run and she said to herself, this is it. This is all I've got. There will never be another one of these moments. I've got to run like I've never run before. The urgency and the intensity must be greater than it's ever been. She finally did catch up to the back of the pack. And she moved her way person by person by person where she was eventually side by side with the leader. They came around that final curve and she said to herself, I've got to kick. And the coach was on the side. You can do it run, run, kick, now's the time. It's all in the video. And it just brings chills all over you. And she said to herself, I've got to go now. She started running and with complete numbness in her body, she not only made one length, but two lengths and four lengths and five lengths, came across the finish line, fell into her coach's arms and cried, help me. Help me. Help me. (laughs) She'd won. Because she gave everything she had. If I'm not mistaken, she's now running for a college somewhere. Because she left it all on the track. What do you have? This is what I have. God says, well, that's what I want. But it's not enough. Oh it's plenty. Because there's more where that came from. Oh and by the way. I'm God. Paul said it this way. Let me read this scripture to you. And then I want to ask you. To consider your finish line. In Acts chapter 20. Paul is it again this same time. He's at the end of his race. He's reflecting on his life. He's saying farewell to the Ephesian elders. He's, he, he, he's, he, he's saying to these people, I will never see you again. You will never see me again on this side of heaven. He knows that he's on his way to death. He's on his last farewell. As soon as he gets on this boat that he's about to get on, he's done. In chapter 20 of Acts, verse 24, this is what he says. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Oh, that we would get to that point. I consider my life nothing to me. Nothing. You know, over the last several months, that's been my prayer. Lord, I don't care where, when, why, what, how, how much. The answer is yes. Don't matter. Because, you know, Shannon and I are looking at our life and going, we've been really blessed. I mean, we're not rich we got a house, we got a roof over our head, we got we got a couple cars, you know. We got some toys. But none of that matters if I leave anything on the field. I want to invite you today to clarify your finish line. I want to invite you today to live a life that is everything that God has purposed it for you you know there's a uh, a story a guy named william back in the early 1800s william his family was crazy rich william's last name is borden william borden he was the heir to the borden family borden milk borden ice cream you know the bordens that are still around today Millions upon millions. Well, he went to school, I believe it was Harvard. He did his regular degree, and then he started seminary, and he got his his theological degree from Harvard. But while he was there, there was a conviction in his heart that he was to give up his inheritance and go to the mission field. In the back of his Bible, he wrote a little phrase just to remind himself of what his calling was all about. He went to his parents and he said, parents, listen, I've graduated. I'm so grateful for my education. But I got to tell you, God's done something in me and he's called me to give what I have. And so I've, I've got to give my, my inheritance to you and let you do with it what you want to do with it. But God has called me to the mission field. And of course, his family was shocked. They were not, they were not happy about that because this is a family who was used to living a certain kind of life. And here this, this kid, this young guy was going to give it all up for some mission thing. But against the wishes of his parents and his friends and his family. He said, I've got to do what God has called me to do. And then he wrote another phrase in his Bible. And then shortly thereafter, he got on to a, a mode of transportation and he headed over to the mission field. And he died before he ever got there. He never stepped foot on the mission field. And we look at that and say, what a waste. He could have done so much. And it was at his funeral that his family took his Bible and they were able to look through it and see what he had written. And he wrote six words. No regrets. No retreat. No reserves. And you say, you know, what a waste of a life until you realize that that story has been told hundreds upon thousands of times. And men and women in this moment, after hearing that story, have been convicted to the point that that is the life they want to live. So he never stepped foot on the mission field, but for some 200 years, he's been impacting lives and will until the earth is no more. That's what I'm calling you to. That's what God is calling you to. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? What is your finish line? What is encumbering you? What is entangling you? One person in this room, one person. This is taking root inside of your soul. And you are not here by accident. You are here against all odds. The enemy did not want you here. But you are here because God is at work in you. And every bit of this day was worth it. For that very moment in your life. Will you just say to Jesus. Jesus. I don't even know what it means, but I give you all that I have. My answer is yes. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of searching. My answer is yes. And then take a deep breath and know that the hands of the Father are catching you, just like the coach caught his runner. And he's moving you to the infield. He's putting ice, soothing the pain. He's giving you water. And he's saying to you, Well done. Father, I pray that in this moment, this mysterious moment, that you alone would convict us. Open up our ears to hear you, O oh God. Open up our hearts to receive your word today. And God, the frustrating part is, is we want to know every detail of how, but help us to trust that if we'll say yes to you, the only thing we need to do is what the next thing is. That's it. Step by step you lead us. God, I pray for all of those watching by Facebook even. Lord, I know that that even through the the the... Even through the miracle of that, you can speak to hearts. So God, have your way in us today. In Jesus' name.